Tonight, I want to ask you to pretend that I have invited you over for supper. Because I'm having you over and because I am the one doing the cooking, at least a portion of the cooking for this meal, I tell you what will be the items on the menu. It consists of grilled pork chops, potato casserole, some kind of vegetable if you're interested, and a cake for dessert. A couple of months have now passed, and you feel like it's appropriate to reciprocate that invitation and a meal to be served to my family. So after these months have passed, you say to me, hey, we'd like to have you and your family over for supper, and here's what is going to be on the menu. We're going to have pork chops, potato casserole, some kind of a vegetable, and a cake for dessert. Now, I want to ask you something. You and I have just cooked the exact same meal. Is it going to taste the same? Not a chance. Why? Because you're going to do things a little bit different than how I do them. Exact same menu, but it's going to taste a little bit different. And I'm not offended and you're not offended. It's just different. But suppose I come over to your house and there's this stuff on the table. And I say, listen, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just wondering, is that a pork chop? And you say to me, well, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's this new meat product they're selling. Well, I don't even know, really know that it's meat, but it's a meat-like product. And, and they tell us it tastes like pork. Okay. Just wondering, is that potato casserole? Well, kind of. Not really potatoes. It's like a, you know, it, it's like a, a tofu type thing. But I'm told that with all the seasoning and the ingredients we put in there, it, it's going to taste just like potato casserole. Well, I don't eat vegetables, so I'm not even going to ask what that is. But what about the cake? Yeah, the cake is a little different. It's different. Okay, now let me ask you something. If it has a look kind of like a pork chop and a texture kind of like a pork chop and a taste kind of like a pork chop, but it isn't a pork chop, is it a pork chop? No, friend, it's not. If it is said that it's potato casserole, but there aren't any potatoes in it, and it's like this tofu stuff in there, I mean, you can call it potato casserole till the cows come home, but is it potato casserole? No. Okay, and, and so here's what you and I would agree with tonight, because we're good West Texas meat-eating kind of people. If it isn't a pork chop, friend, it's not a pork chop. And if it's not a potato casserole, it's not a potato casserole. And if it's not a good two-layer chocolate cake or something of that nature, then, friend, it's not really a chocolate cake. And don't try to tell me I just had pork chops, potato casserole, and cake when that isn't pork chops, potato casserole, and cake. Tonight, 2 Timothy, who is Paul writing to? The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, a young preacher. He is writing... Young Timothy, a young preacher, a young man who needs some encouragement in the ministry, who needs some instruction in the ministry, who needs some reminders in the ministry, things of that nature. And of all the things that the Apostle Paul will write about, and of all the things the Apostle Paul feels necessary or needful to tell Timothy, to remind Timothy, we read these words that you and I are so familiar with. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, here is what uh, Paul declares to Timothy. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So for you and I tonight, I think we would say, well, it starts at Genesis 1, 
and would not conclude until the final chapter of Revelation. Okay, so every bit of the Scripture that you and I hold within our hands tonight is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Well, what does it mean for something to be profitable? It means there is value to it. It means there is worth to this. If something is profitable, you don't want to get rid of it. Why would you want to get rid of something that profits you? Why would you want to get something that is of value to you? Why would you want to get rid of something that is of benefit to you? You and I do not naturally try to get rid of things that profit us. You and I try to get rid of those things that are of no profit or of no value or of no benefit to us. Okay, so here's the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, a young man, a young preacher who is in need of instruction and reminder and counsel and encouragement. And he says, young Timothy, I want you to remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is of value. It is of worth for what? Doctrine. We do not live in a day, in a society, or in a culture that is friendly to this idea of a church or of church members teaching, preaching, or practicing Bible doctrine. Now, I want us to think about this for just a moment. The the very first thing that Paul says in this verse to Timothy is all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. He didn't start with reproof. He didn't start with correction. He didn't start with instruction. He did not start with unrighteousness. He began with that little simple word called doctrine. What does doctrine mean? It means teachings. When you teach your children something, you know what you are doing? You are indoctrinating them because you are teaching them something. If you pull your grandson or your granddaughter aside and you say, listen, I want to teach you something. I want to share something with you. I want to impart some knowledge or information into your head. Then what you are doing, whether you would call it this or not, is you are indoctrinating them. You are trying to influence their thinking. You are trying to influence their beliefs. And in doing so, you are trying to influence their actions. I make no bones about it, and I make no apologies for it. The way in which I am trying to teach my children is a form of indoctrination. I am trying to teach them the principles and the values that we believe are important from the Word of God. So when the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says that all of Scripture is given and is profitable, it is valuable for the purpose of doctrine, all Paul is trying to convey is this, is that the Word of God from beginning to end is profitable for the purpose of teaching people things about God's Word. Now, a person with any measure of common sense have to ask or have to answer a couple of questions. First of all, what is wrong with that? What is wrong with me trying to, quote-unquote, indoctrinate people with the Word of God? I mean, if I'm a pastor and you're a church member and and we've assembled for the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, then, then why wouldn't you expect me to try to indoctrinate you or teach you from the Word of God, which is profitable in all areas of life? Now, Now, follow this, please. But we live in a day today, and we're going to say a whole lot more about this in just a couple of moments, but we live in a day today that says, well, we don't want to teach and preach doctrine. 
Okay, so here's another question you have to ask. Then what in the world from this book are you going to present? Because if you think about it, if doctrine is nothing more and really nothing less than just the teaching and the declaration and the imparting of God's word to other people, then you really have to ask yourself, okay, what then is not a part of doctrine from the word of God? See, whether somebody wants to admit it or not, when you go back to Genesis and you began to read the Genesis account of creation, that is teaching doctrine. It is a part of our doctrine that says we believe in one God and one God only. It is a part of our doctrine that says we believe in holiness. It is a part of our doctrine that says we believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is our doctrine that teaches us that the Lord is going to return one day. On and on and on it goes. It is Bible doctrine. It is Bible teaching under attack because we live in a society today where preachers and church members alike like want to say something like this, oh, we just, we don't, we don't emphasize doctrine. Well, friends, all of scripture, every bit of this is profitable. It is of value and it is of worth for my doctrine. Here is what God wants to do to me as much as he wants to do to you. He wants to indoctrinate us. And how are we indoctrinated? Through the word of God. Now, I want us to think about something. Doctrine can be kind of a touchy subject because everything we hold to is a part of our doctrine. See, a part of our doctrine is the assembling of the saints together. The fact that you and I sing songs, that's part of our doctrine. The teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, not just what is said, but even the act of preaching is a part of the doctrine because Paul said to Timothy, Preach the word. Okay, so every bit of this is a part of the doctrine. Now, what we do at Grace Baptist Church is kind of like flavoring it the way we're comfortable flavoring it. Is every church in America going to do things the exact same way according to our flavor? Well, obviously not. Many churches will do things very similar to us, but it will be different. They may not meet at the exact same time. They may not sing the exact same songs. And the style of the preaching may not be the exact same style as mine. Now understand, please, going to a church that does some things different than what we do here doesn't mean that it's terrible. It's kind of like them fixing their meal a little bit different than ours. Yes, it's different. Yes, it's not the exact same way we do it at our house or the exact same way we do it at our place. But here's what every one of us understand. Just because it's a little bit different doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong. But something happened a few years ago. Now, somebody may argue with me on this, but I think it happened around 25 years ago. I think this is when it got really, really popular because a football coach decided, you know what we need? We need to have a men's meeting, and we'll call it Promise Keepers. The general idea, the basic idea, or the premise of the meeting was this. We want to teach men, and we want to encourage men to be men of God. In and of itself, does that statement sound bad? 
In and of itself, does that statement sound defensive? No. In and of itself, does that statement send up red flags? No. In and of itself, we say here is a man who is a football coach, who has influence, who has name recognition, he has notoriety, and he wants to begin this ministry, this group, whatever he would call it. He wants to do this in an effort to teach men and encourage men to be men of God. Well, how wonderful would that be? And so what did men begin to do? They began to sign up. And what did churches begin to do? They began to encourage their men and their young men to go to these meetings. And what would they do? They would fill up large stadiums. They would fill up large conference centers. And what would they do? They would teach men and encourage men how to be men of God. There's only one small problem with their meeting. One of their statements that a promise keeper is is a promise keeper is committed to reaching beyond any racial and denominational barriers to demonstrate the power of biblical unity. Now, tonight, I know where we live, I know the culture in which we live, and I understand tonight the racial issues of our society to an extent. So I just want to go on record in saying this. There is no legitimate reason for there to be racial barriers in our society today. But they said a promise keeper is committed to reaching beyond any denominational barriers to demonstrate the power of biblical unity. Now, friends, I can worship with the Hispanic man. I can worship with the black man. I don't have a problem with that. But if you want to ask me to start worshiping with no regard to denominational barriers, you're asking me to eat something that looks like Christianity. It may kind of have a texture of Christianity. There may be some things that would maybe taste like Christianity, but friends, that ain't Christianity. Follow this, please. I've had Catholic friends. One of the sweetest men that Susie and I have ever known was a Catholic. But friends, I could never worship with him because he's not praying to the same one that I'm praying to. His basis of faith and, and his basis of salvation is not at all what my basis of salvation and faith is. Friends, I can worship with anyone regardless of color, regardless of race, but don't ask me to worship with someone who is Catholic, and don't ask me to worship with someone who believes that I have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. I'll worship with anyone that, that is of, of a like mind, of a like spirit, of, of a like belief, of like doctrine. But, but, but listen, don't ask me to worship with someone who says, well, you weren't baptized in Jesus' name, therefore you're not saved. Don't ask me to worship with someone who says there's no such thing as sin. You know why? Because he's not just serving a little bit of different in my life with his life. No, friend, he is serving up something completely different that is completely unbiblical, that is completely unscriptural by way of doctrine. It is not a light thing for me to just refuse to look across denominational barriers. Why? Because within the denominations, if you're really going to hold people's feet to the fire, the denominations represent doctrines 
And the doctrines represent what they believe the Scripture to be teaching. And friends, we're not talking about whether or not they sing a hymn versus a chorus or they meet at 6 versus 7 or whatever it may be. We are talking about things with eternal significance attached to them. When Bible doctrine is under attack, understand the doctrine of doctrine is under attack. You know why I believe there's so many churches in our communities today that are non-denominational? Because it became the hip and trendy thing to say 20 plus years ago that we're now non-denominational. And so with no denominational attachments, here's what we have then sacrificed, doctrine. Which means you have basically said the word of God has no profit or no value to this church. Why? Because doctrine is contained from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. And if I'm non-denominational, then I really can't preach doctrine. Because if my doctrine contradicts with your doctrine, then somehow we are becoming denominational. The doctrine of doctrine is under attack. You see what all this has created? Mass confusion. Because this person feels the liberty to join a church, and yeah, I don't hold to all that stuff, but hey, psh, whatever, they accept me here. Well, then somebody else comes to the church, and they're from a completely different church, and I know I've already touched on this, but just follow this. And, and so somebody else comes to this church where, hey, we don't preach doctrine, brother, we just preach Jesus, which in itself is a doctrine, but nonetheless. So they come over, and they've got their doctrine that they grew up with, and it doesn't jive with this person's, but it doesn't jive with the church either, but we're non-denominational, we're non-doctrinal. And then someone else comes, and then someone else comes, and then someone else comes, and then pretty soon you've got hobo stew at the church. Everybody's just kind of thrown in what they want to contribute by way of doctrine, even though they don't have any doctrine. And do you see what Satan is able to ultimately do to a church that no longer preaches doctrine without apology? Satan is able to not only keep people in a state of confusion, but give it enough time, and the messages will be so watered down, they will be so weak, they will be so pathetic by way of content, by way of, by way of substance, that people will never hear a clear preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, again, they would hate to offend someone that didn't believe what they kind of believe. So they will never hear the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and give it time, just give it a little bit more time. Those people will never hear anything about their sinful condition. They'll not hear much about holiness. They'll not hear much about godliness. They'll not hear much about soul winning. Their, their song leader will never challenge them to pass out a track. Listen, it'll just be we come and we do church for a little bit, and ultimately here's what you've got. You've got a bunch of lost religious people who don't begin to know for a moment what they truly believe. Because the church and the church leaders wanted to avoid doctrine at all costs, but still tell everybody we're still a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. So doctrine is certainly not a popular doctrine, even though Paul said to Timothy, this is pretty important, profitable, every bit of it is. Even though Paul said it's profitable, a lot of churches want to say, no, that's unprofitable. It divides and, and it separates. And yes, friends, it does. But that's a good thing. It lets us know what we're eating. So what do we do with all these religious people out there? Do we just bury down and we just say, everybody's wrong and everybody's sinful and everybody's wicked because they don't do it just like us? No, here's what we do. 
Where there are churches in Pampa preaching the gospel, you know what we say? Amen. Like the Apostle Paul said in writing to the believers of Philippi, hey, listen, for these who are preaching the gospel, even though their motives may not be exactly what they ought to be, I can say this, the gospel is going forth, and so I'm going to rejoice in that. Now, now listen, there are some churches in town, hey, if I liked their flavor, I'd do it their way. But that's not what I like. I, I like to season it a little bit different. But I don't have the right to condemn them because their flavor is different than mine. What is my response to all these different churches out there? Okay, the ones who are preaching the gospel, the ones who are still preaching some holiness, preaching some godliness, who are still trying to get people to live for the Lord, you say, amen, God bless you, I hope the best for you, even if you do things a little bit different than us. But what do you do with the ones who are serving up the church-like product? What do you do with the ones who, who want to serve up just kind of this hodgepodge of church, but they really don't stand for anything, they really don't teach anything, and it's a very social, worldly approach to their faith, for lack of better words. You follow the example of Christ. And you don't have to say it verbally every time you get the chance, but you can just make a mental note. Their religion is empty. Their religion is not biblical. Their religion is not scriptural. Their doctrine, whether they want to call it doctrine or not, it's not biblical. Okay, so I'm not going to partake of that, and I'm not even going to encourage them to keep serving that. I'm not going to say, God bless you, and, and may you be warmed and filled. No, not if you're teaching a social gospel that leads people to hell. Why, why would I encourage that? I'm going to identify it, and I'm going to mark it, and I'm going to distance myself from it, and I'm going to say, you do what you want, but I don't buy it. You do what Paul did to Peter. Paul confronted Peter to the face because Peter got off track on some doctrine. Peter got nervous with the Jews around and, and started saying, yeah, I think the Jews are right about that whole circumcision thing, and Paul jumped his case about it. Why? Because Paul knew, I think doctrine's a little important. And Paul was saying, hey, listen, we're not real worried about racial barriers right now, but we're very concerned about doctrinal barriers right now. What did Paul do to those Corinthian believers who got messed up on their doctrine? He kind of wrote them a note that said, get your act together because I'm coming to you and I can either come with the rod or I can come with the spirit of meekness. Your choice. That's so harsh. Yeah, because Paul knew doctrine matters. Paul was not going to sit back and say, well, guys, just whatever you believe, I'm just going to come and, and, and I'll just keep it simple and not offensive for y'all. And, and so if y'all want to have these immoral, ungodly, incestual relationships, y'all just do that because I don't want to challenge you with doctrine. What do you do when it's so off base that you can't even recognize it for true Christianity? You identify it for what it is and you say, you know what, I'm not partaking of that mess. Where it's just different than me, just that's all it is, it's just different, hey, whatever, it's good, I'm, I'm okay with that. But where it's not even close, you have nothing to do with it. I'm not a part of the ministerial alliance. How can I go and pray for revival and weep over the sins of Pampa whenever I'm praying beside someone who may not even really believe that sin exists? Doctrine matters. And the next time you hear somebody say something like this, oh, I just don't think doctrine's a big deal, just make a mental note. You're probably not someone I need to spend a lot of time with. Yeah, doctrine doesn't matter to us. Doctrine's no big deal. At our church, we don't worry about doctrine. We just love the Lord. Friends, that is dangerous territory. Not necessarily because of where that statement puts them right now, 
But where that statement will put them in a few years from now could have people dying and going to a devil's hell because they never heard some of the key doctrines they needed to hear. Don't let Satan dupe you ever into believing doctrine is insignificant. Paul said, it is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine.